Excellent. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter uh, uh, 4. We are working our way through the book of Mark. And uh, in fact, these next couple of weeks, we're going to linger a little bit in Mark chapter 4 as we think about um, uh, the, the terrific uh, truth that exists in this. Uh, Jen, if you want to follow me with scriptures, that would be fabulous. And then we can um, uh, hear this story. Uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along and just as he was in the boat, there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teachers, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Wow. This is a well-known story. And many of you will know this, but this story, you may not realise this. In fact, Mark's gospel in many ways um, really baffles non-Christian historians, because they know its authenticity. They know that it was written, uh, uh, you know, as we said, somewhere uh, around between uh, 45 AD and 63 AD. And there was, um, that we, we know that it has that connection that we can rely on it as a source. We can rely on it and believe in it. And yet, and yet, of course, many um, historians and, and people who have no faith, uh, who look at it critically, are confused because there are moments in Mark's gospel when the style clearly isn't mythological isn't just kind of like a great odyssey or a great story of the ancient world. There are things in the text that just explode from the text like a little pocket rocket and they go, whoa, that's not consistent with how we view this book because we view it as fictitious. But there are, there are very deep challenges that, that, that this was actually the account of somebody that was present, that saw it, that there is a tone of what they call of reminiscence. In other words, the person that is speaking through the text has, has a deep sense of, I remember seeing and I remember knowing. Now, I know that our faith is based upon revelation, and we know that we are believers and we are Christians because there came a day when suddenly Jesus Christ appeared to us in our lives and we found his call. Our eyes were opened and suddenly we know that, that, that we know that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of us, we can't explain it. For some of us, it was dramatic. For me, I came from generations of atheists and was raised in an atheistic home and I had an encounter with the living Jesus. So it comes as a religion of revelation, but there is a strong sense of education that we do not check our brains out when we become Christians. 
We, we understand this. And here, you notice a number of things in the text for a moment. Let me just draw your attention to two things before I get into the message, really. First of all, there's a sense of reminiscing because there's details that, that, that bemuse people. or They would never be there in an ancient text. See, I sat with my granddad for many years. You, many of you know he passed away at 92 years old. And I was fortunate enough to be in his presence as he went home. But he spent most of his life rejecting Christ. And the whole family had a kind of nominal religious, but basically had no belief. There was one family member, his great aunt, called Aunt Emily, that as he grew up as a young man, he remembered Aunt Emily. And he, when I became a Christian, he would tell me stories about Aunt Emily. She was a tall spinster. She was a preacher. She worked in the city of Birmingham with the Methodist uh, circuit. And she would preach at the turn of the century in the 1920s, 1930s in the centre of Birmingham. And then she would catch the train to go to an area where they used to um, uh, haul coal through the canal system. And she would go into the bars and the clubs, drag the, um, the guys out of the clubs and make the guys marry the, um, the, the, their wives. Well, they weren't their wives, they were common law. And, and she was quite a woman. He, she, he would say, she terrifies me. Um, and and I'm, I'm in my 80s now, but I still remember this tall, bony hand woman who used to point at you. And I remember seeing her on a bus one day giving out soup in the middle of Birmingham in the, de- in the kind of depression before the Second World War and where poverty would make you weep. When I listened and remember the reminiscing of the way the man spoke, I knew that he had touched and knew Emily because he even described her ugly bony hands. There's no reason why in Mark's gospel... The writer should say a couple of things here. First of all, there's no reason why he should say, look, and there were other boats also leaving. Now that may seem a small point to you. But for historians who look at this text, it bemuses them. Because in ancient writing, I just finished the book, um, the the book of Negroes by a brilliant book about the history of uh, of slavery and and a novel and in there there is detail and texture but here he members mentions two things he mentions the boats that went out and he mentions the cushion that Jesus is lying on a cushion I mean it's 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 reminiscent. This is Peter talking about what he was present, he saw, and this was John Mark writing it down, and we can believe it, and we can know it, that it is true, and that it is there. And, and it's a story of a great storm. Of course, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, and the mountains to the north um, uh, the highest mountain to the north of the Sea of Galilee is 9,200 feet. And when you have high mountains and you have a low sea and you have warm air and you have cold air and you have that difference taking place in the over 10,000 feet difference, the Sea of Galilee would be thrown into storms regularly and they were famous because of how the storms would suddenly be whipped up. 
And they find themselves in this scripture in the middle of an incredible storm. Not just a normal storm, but an incredible storm. And this incredible storm is thrown up. They panic and what do they do? They instantly wake Jesus up. And what does Jesus do? Well, he speaks in verse 39. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now you notice that he didn't get up and say in the name of. Notice that he didn't get up and say, I conjure up all the powers. Like some sorcerer, some shaman, some, some, some mighty Wizards, as we see in films like The Hobbit and all of these things, he doesn't use any, any power. He doesn't call on any name. He just speaks to the storm as if he owns the room. And there's the truth. He doesn't need to call on any God because he is God. He doesn't need to call on any greater power because he's the divine one and the called one. He's present. And that storm may be horrific. It may be incredible. But that storm is like a, it's it's like I remember my kids. You know when they're they're toddlers and they're in the uh, stroller. And, and you strap them in the stroller and, and, uh, and, and then they, they get something in their mind and suddenly a, a, a young toddler will, will scream and yell and kick and go berserk. Were your children ever like that? Uh, no, of course not, because you're perfect. Uh, I was horrific. My, my mom used to tie me. She probably could be arrested for this. Uh, <laughs> Tie me in the um, in the cart because I would climb out the cart. I would do things. I would. I was always moving. I was always riddling, and I was always uh, nothing's changed. So, and and I, I once sat in my vestry at a, 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 my previous church, looking across where one of our church members had a little boy who was strapped in and he was kicking and screaming and yelling and he wanted to get out and he was doing the arching of the back. You know you're in trouble when they start arching the back and doing that. True? They are in trouble. He's arching his back. And then she, her name's Lucy. She's wonderful. I remember her so clearly. She looked at him and she said, Luke, Stop right now. And, and the whole area. <laughs> Be quiet. And Luke went. <laughs> he knew who was in charge. <laughs> Jesus is looking at the toddler of a storm that is wreaking havoc. And he simply, all he has to do is speak. Be quiet. Be quiet. Right now, be quiet. Because all authority rests in Jesus. All authority now, if that's the storm, what about the sea? You see, in the ancient world, the sea, like a Galilean sea, the Mediterranean, were viewed as dark, 
evil, monstrous places. In fact, in ancient writing, nobody could control the sea because the sea is full of monsters. It's full of darkness. It's something to be feared. Unlike us today, we love nothing more than to go to the beach and to sail on the open seas and to go around the world and and, and enjoy, you know, adventure and life and seafaring and so on. The glorious open sea to the ancient world. Stay away from the sea because it's dark, it is evil, there are monsters there, it is horrific and you have to be afraid of the sea. Even in the ancient story of King Canute, the Danish king, he said, what am I that I can speak to the sea and stop the sea from raging? I can't do that. But you see, Jesus... The raging monster of the sea, the raging darkness of darkness at that moment, Jesus could speak to the sea and the monsters and the beasts of the darkness in their mind and he had authority over them. See, many of us live with dark, monstrous fears. Many of us live with issues and anxieties. Many of us live with a fear that dwells within our lives. But I want to remind you that there is no darkness. There is no evil. There is no monster. There is no storm that Jesus, your Savior, does not have authority over. No and sometimes we can forget that. And we learned in the earlier chapter, if you're following the series, is that Jesus said, don't just keep the Sabbath. Jesus said, I am the Sabbath. I am the deep peace. I am the rest. You live in me and you find satisfaction. And now certainly he's saying, I am all-powerful. I am the all-powerful one. You put your faith in me in the middle of your storm and you're going to get through that storm. We see that. I know. Even as we dedicated Dear Justice and the storm that enraged around the journey of her birth and the prayers that were given, there was a moment when Jesus turned up. And I want you to believe in your own life that when you face a storm, that Jesus is bigger than that storm. He can talk to the toddler and the toddler can be quiet. Jesus is bigger than your storm. And that should encourage us He's bigger than our storm and we'll get you through it. He's bigger than that storm and you're going to be okay. He's going to get you through that. Because he's the Lord. He's all powerful. See, we're meant to believe that the universe is created by a random act. That they don't really understand why. That out of the madness of chaos, there was a massive explosion and, and great... Um, Great gases and powers were released and there was such energy that appeared that out the swirling chaos of storm of the universe, that galaxies were formed, our own Milky Way was formed and black holes appeared and supernovas and the, the immenseness of what I love to examine and, and read about, the vastness and the greatness of the kind of cosmic storm and we were meant to believe that that is all by chance 
nonsense. You see, in the same way that he is Lord over the storms of our life, God the Father is Lord over the whole of the universe. Oh, his fingerprints are all over it. His presence is all there. It is a glorious wonder to look into the heavens and to see the vastness of God. But we see the vastness of God come down and distilled into a man. That infinity became finite and lived amongst us. And here he is. He's speaking to the storm with the authority and the power. He's speaking with that. He is all powerful. He's all powerful over the darkness. He's all powerful over the problems. He's all powerful over our pain. He's all powerful over our lives. He's declaring and they slug back and they go, who is this? Who is this? But let's back up a bit for a moment in this text. They're afraid in the boat. And Jesus is asleep. And they're so afraid. Now this must have been some kind of storm. Because you've got professional fishermen out in the storm. They are used to storms. Now Elaine's family comes from Fraserborough where there is professional fishermen. I've been there myself and been out to sea with a, a group of fishermen and, and bobbing around. I'll be honest, I, I, I would not have done well in this story. I'd have been the, the disciple at the side throwing up. I, I would have been in a small ball. I don't even like turbulence on planes and I fly all the time. It starts to bump around and I'm like, ooh. I'm a big, I want to say girl, but that's insulting (laughs) and sexist and just nonsense. I'm a big mamby-pamby, you know. I just don't like, I don't like, I don't don't like being thrown up and down. I mean, and the planes are designed to take a lot more than than I'm designed. So, you know, they fly into hurricanes and there I am going, you know, I don't like a bit of turbulence and and I don't like roller coasters. Uh, I mean, of course, I suck it up and go for it. So, but inside I'm going, I really don't want to do this. I'd have been useless at this moment. But the fishermen weren't. They're used to force eight gales. They're used to it. And this was such a powerful storm that they are freaking out. And Jesus is asleep on a cushion. Wow. He's asleep. And when they wake him up, he doesn't, he doesn't, Actors like Jesus the counsel and go, it's all right, don't worry. He's not empathetic with them. He wakes up and he goes, what are you moaning about? He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's encouraging, isn't it? Would you like Jesus to be your pastor um, at that moment? Well, he'd, he'd be a wonderful pastor, but, uh, of course, but, but he's pretty straight, like what are you afraid? Well, we're afraid of the storm. We've never had a storm like this. This is terrifying. What do you mean, what am I afraid of? What are you afraid of? In other words, he's saying, where do you really put your faith? Where is your faith? Where is your belief? In the middle of a storm, because you've got to get clear that when you face problems in life, 
You've got to decide where you are looking and where your faith is. You'll have that choice all the time in life. You know, life doesn't go easy. Businesses struggle. We're let down by relationships. Churches fail us. Family members hurt us. Marriages dissolve. People die. People get sick. Life is dark. Life is a monstrous storm at times. And like a scene from Pirates of the Caribbean, it's like a monster comes up with all its tentacles and drags you down. But I want you to know the words of Jesus looks at you and I and says, come on, Phil, where is your faith? I'm the Lord of the storm. Where is your faith right now? Where is it? Where's it going to be? Where is your faith? You see, there's a lot of talk about faith. And there's a lot of wrong theology about faith that you have to some kind of whip faith up. So it's like, you, it's all to do with you. Let me say this to you. Faith, it is not about the quality of your faith because my faith at times is pretty weak. It is about the object of your faith. The object of the faith is the man on the cushion and their faith is in him because he's got it, he's in control. It is not the quality. And Christians mess each other up with their kind of faith talk as if somehow faith is a gift. It is not something I manufacture in the factory of my life so I'm somehow super spiritual. It is a gift From the Father. And I get faith. How? By the object of my faith. And the object of my faith has to be Jesus. The Saviour. The Lord. The King of Kings. The one who reigns on high. See when you're in a storm. Don't try and conjure up. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. You look in the eyes of Jesus. And let him be the object of your faith. See, it's like a man who goes and is running through the woods and, I don't know, perhaps being chased. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene in a, a film called The Reverend where uh, he's been chased by First Nations. It was filmed in BC and he, he falls over a cliff and he's falling down the cliff and reaches out for a branch. And it's a scene that is that is played out in many ways, whether it's a high action movie or whether it's a, um, a cartoon where the guy falls over the cliff and he's going to hit the bottom of the canyon and there's a, a branch sticking out. It's played again and again in movies and he reaches out and he grabs the branch. Now it doesn't matter as he falls how much faith he has in that branch. It's whether the object of his faith is strong enough to hold him, to stop him from falling. See that? Let me tell you something. The object of the Lord Jesus Christ is strong enough to hold us all. 
You feel like you're falling, you grab onto Jesus. Grab onto Jesus because it's not the quality of our faith because when you're in the middle of a storm, you don't even feel like you've got faith. You're, you're, you're afraid. You wonder where it's all gone. But when your object of your faith is Jesus, the Lord, and you reach out and grab the great branch, the cross of salvation, and you hang on the word that saved the world, you are going to get through that storm. Because he loves you. He loves you. He loved his disciples, but he was teaching them to believe. And sometimes we have to go through a terrible storm to really know the faith in our lives. And those of us that have traveled through the hardest times, as many of us have, we discover God at a level that we've never discovered him before through difficult storms. True? You either become bitter and twisted and walk away or you discover Jesus as an object of your faith like you've never discovered him before. Let me finish on this. The story for theologians has an uncanny connection in their mind and in our mind. And in fact, I think in the author's narration to another story in scripture. And this story is a story you know well, Jonah. In fact, Jesus in Matthew's gospel talks about himself like a Jonah in the belly of the whale, the fish. So, this is interesting because here we have the crew all freaking out and all afraid and all worried and everybody's, and, and we have Jesus asleep. We have Jonah and the crew are all scared because of the storm and Jonah is asleep. And they wake him up and they, the crew say to Jonah, Don't, what's going on? Don't you care? And he goes, well, listen, the problem really is with the storm is, is that, that you're going to sink unless you throw me overboard and I die. So you have a choice here. It's a terrible choice for ancient world because it invoked curses and different things in the text. All the background noise. But, but they take Jonah and eventually the storm, the ship is going to sink. They toss Jonah overboard and the storm goes still. And his statement was, unless I die, you will not survive. I think there's a connection to Jonah in the text that is not just about this story, but you can pan out and see the wide view now, the widescreen view of it. And we know that unless Jesus dies, the storm, the monstrous storms, the painful storms, the worst storm of God's judgment, you will not survive it unless I die. And when I die, there will be stillness in heaven and the greatest storm of humanity is over. And I think what we're saying here is, listen... Okay, they're not going to throw him into the water in the middle of Galilee Sea. But the connection is here. 
is that Jesus acts and it speaks like the story of Jonah. Unless I die, unless I go into the belly for three days, unless I rise again to go on my mission, then I will defeat the greatest storm of humanity. Jesus Christ has defeated the greatest storm of humanity. Jesus Christ has gone into the storms of eternity, the darkness of sin, the very depths of the monstrous ocean of darkness through the cross and through his death, and he has come out the other side victorious. And that's why you can trust him. Because he's victorious Over the ultimate storm. And one day we will see that. We will know that. And we will experience it in our lives. And that's why every time we come to communion. We remind ourselves that Jesus took it. That Jesus did it. That Jesus went through the ultimate storm and died for us. Was thrown overboard by humanity and then came and lived as the Lord, Redeemer, resurrected King. So what are your storms? Can you believe again in the object of your faith? And let me tell you something Don't criticize people when they don't have as much faith as you. Because Christians, you can be hard on each other. Faith is a gift. It's not a magic formula. We don't criticize others when they don't have faith, when they go through difficult times. We encourage them to look at the object of their faith. And the object of their faith is Jesus. When you look at Jesus... You get the faith to go through. Let's pause and pray.